I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a sunny Essex edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the advisory team. Today we're visiting the stunning RHS Garden Hyde Hall as it reaches the end of its fabulous redevelopment programme. We'll visit the Riot of Colour, which is the brand new floral Fantasia Garden. Plus we'll take a guided tour of the Global Growth Vegetable Garden as it enters its second year. Horticulturist Matthew Oliver reflects on the steep learning curve of year one, plus give some expert hints on getting maximum yield from the minimum space by growing up. RHS Garden Hyde Hall began life in 1955 as a farm and private garden with just six trees and was owned by the Robinson family. The RHS took over the site in 1993. Centred on Clover Hill that rises above the surrounding landscape, the garden boasts wonderful views across the county. The garden is coming to the end of a multi-million pound investment by the RHS. And with new garden areas diverse landscaping, education facilities, cafes and restaurants, there's lots for visitors to see and do. We headed east on a blistering summer's day to find out more. I'm Ian Legro. I'm the head of site at RHS Garden Hyde Hall in Essex. For about the last year, we've been building the Hilltop Collection of Buildings, which is uh, primarily the learning centre, which we needed. Uh, we were the only garden without one. And then a little bit later on, we decided that actually we, we also need to design that in conjunction with probably moving the restaurant at some point. And then we got further investment, which obviously then became the restaurant and new activity building. And also delivering a hilltop garden in its own right in the main yard, as it used to be. The hilltop garden has actually broken the old trackway that went straight through the hilltop from the old farming days. And it's allowed the wind corridor to be broken up effectively. And then we've planted it in such a way that it still has a nice open feel. The plantings repeat themselves through the yard, so it all feels as one planting because it's made up of a good number of beds and borders. And it makes the transition in the plantings as well from the yard level up to the building threshold level, giving us a nice flat threshold through the whole of the building landscape. We've tried, again, to make this hilltop garden as as accessible as we possibly can. The designs really have been drawn up by Adam Frost. He did the master plan with us about three years ago, recast that, and then got the detailed design for this yardscape. So you've got lovely things like campanulas kind of ribboning through. You've got amelanchias, multi-stemmed, lovely starry white flowers in the spring, uh, lovely silvery bark all the way through the year, 
and great autumn colour, yellows and burnt oranges. Really friendly shrub. You can prune out of it if you want to, and it will respond to that. And, and yeah, nothing really seems to attack it, so it's a great one. And then other things we've got going on are some of the Acer campestries, multi-stemmed again. The height of the plants being multi-stemmed mainly were just to kind of keep the scale of it down to human proportions, nothing too tall, nothing too big. We draw other things in, so inspiration from the dry garden with kind of rosemaries, some of the grasses, like the maidenhair grass, has been kind of used through the garden. But yeah, then there's a few key plants that then just draw it all together. And we've got annuals and things to go through. So, so what you see today, we've probably only planted about half. Further plantings are going to be September and October, really. The dry garden has had a lot of work done on what is actually its northern flank, where it adjoins the building. And we also had the engineering problem of the sheer amount of water from these roofscapes that was going to go towards the reservoir. The 10.1 million gasm reservoir to the north cannot hold all the storm water we harvest in the winter months. And we have a lake just off to our west that actually needs more water. So the idea is we collect the inner courtyard and some of this roof water and we, we take it down through the dry garden, and there's the interesting thing. You've got a dry garden with water running through it. So we've created, or will create, a number of header pools that will collect and stall the water as it moves through, and then there'll be a very gentle depression made, like a Californian dry riverbed or some of the scree rocky beds that you get, say, in the kind of the Greek islands, Mediterranean islands, that flow when there is storm water, but very quickly then stops flowing and water goes into the soil after. So the true excess water will go down to the lake and um, we'll, we'll use that to fuel that. And then there'll be ebb and flow in the dry riverbed and the plants selected will be those that can kind of live in that environment actually. So it allows us to add another dynamic to the dry garden. It should be interesting topographically as well as plant-wise, but also tells the story of the water harvesting that we have done here at the garden so the story of the reservoir, for instance, giving us all our irrigation water for the last 10 years. Good investment, good practice. All positive stuff, I hope. Ian Legros, head of site at RHS Garden Hyde Hall. One of the new garden displays which has been delighting visitors of all ages this summer is the Floral Fantasia, which is a riot of colour from over 14,000 bedding plants designed in conjunction with East Anglian seed and plant specialists Thompson & Morgan. I'm Christine Woodhouse and I'm the team leader of the Hilltop Garden. We're standing at the entrance to the Floral Fantasia Thompson & Morgan Garden. Floral Fantasia is a bit of a showcase of Thompson & Morgan's bedding plants, so everything they sell as seeds and what you can buy off of them and grow in your own back gardens. The area before was actually our old vegetable garden and it's kind of redundant because we've got our new vegetable garden, the Global Growth Vegetable Garden. The reason behind it really is we do have um, a relationship with Thompson & Morgan because they supplied the seeds for the big pumpkin. So it sort of seems right to really then sort of carry on a relationship, perhaps use the space that's been, you know, unused to sort of show their bedding. Bedding plants, um, funnily enough, we don't use a lot of bedding plants at Hyde Hall at all, really. We do grow some, um, but what we usually use them for is actually to kind of plug gaps in our herbaceous borders and our kind of borders around the hilltop garden. And they really are sort of instant effect, really. The bedding plants that have grown down here are sort of everything you could probably buy, really. Um, and it kind of just proves to people, you know, how bright they can make their gardens, how lovely they can make them look, sort of instant impact as well. But bedding plants are only really going to be a one-year sort of affair, 
grow them from seed in February, um, plant them out at the end of May once all the frost has passed, and and then they sort of do their thing, you know, feed them, weed them, water them, uh, deadhead them throughout the summer. By the time you get to sort of November time, they're pretty much finished. So it's a one-year sort of affair really for bedding plants. In the people's back gardens, a lot of lot of the time, I would think people really would use them in as a hanging basket and in troughs and containers. But we, you know, you do get people that kind of fill their gardens with bedding plants and sort of have them all around the lawn, sort of a border for the lawn. So it depends on what you like really as your sort of theme in your back garden. It would be very sort of neat and tidy to have bedding plants in your back garden, I suppose, or a big shrubbery or something like that, and a right of colour as well. And also, you've got a lot of choice as well. You want to grow. I think a real favourite probably is a petunia. I think. And it's certainly proved down here we've got a lot of petunias, pink and white petunias sort of hanging in front of me and blue and uh, sort of purple and white speckled really. It looks a little bit like out of space really. All sorts of colours. You can get bicolour ones or just sort of simple, just one colour, maybe purple. Very, very bright colours. In addition to the hanging baskets, we've got some pouches and you sort of you plant the bedding plants in the pouches and all the way down them. So you kind of get this kind of effect of it sort of growing on your wall. And the plants that we've got in them, we've got some lobelia. So that's sort of traditionally sort of trails. We've got some very, very small and delicate dianthus. We've got some bacopa, which is traditional for putting in hanging baskets. The little tiny, tiny little pale purple blue flowers are really small, no more than a centimetre across. Very pretty little plants, um, require a lot of deadheading. <laughs> and then next to it, we've got some Braxicome as well, which is bigger, about two centimetres across. Really nice pink flower with an orange centre. Daisy-like flowers they are, but really lovely in, in hanging baskets or in a pouch. Probably not suited to being in the ground unless it's going to sort of trail across the wall or something like that perfect for somebody with maybe a a very small balcony or a little patio where somewhere you haven't got space to have a hanging basket sort of hanging down they could be sort of on railings or something like that or a little wall Um, so ideal for that really greening up your your wall really if we have a wander in i'll show you around the uh, floral fantasia this is Peter. So I'm, I'm Peter Freeman and I'm the new product development manager at Thompson & Morgan, so in charge of the trials and had great fun setting up this floral fantasia here at Hyde Hall. What we're really trying to do here is we're, we're trying to sort of showcase all of the varieties that we do in our seed catalogue, our wholesale catalogue, plant catalogues and um, a few of the new varieties as well so uh, it's a cross-section of all the varieties we do at Thompson and Morgan. Quite a large area actually it's it's the biggest sort of trial area we've taken on for many years actually so really what you've got is you've got um, three um, big long borders which are all planted up with seedling varieties actually planted straight into the ground and then the rest of the actual area is taken up by probably just over 600 pots and hanging baskets and um, all sorts of pouches that were obviously hanging from the various um, fences around the outside and the big pyramid which is uh, situated in the middle of the garden as well. Pyramid is something, um, it's 5.4 metres tall so um, it's quite a structure and can be seen from quite a distance away. It's actually got 120 different um, pouches on the pyramid, four different varieties and we've actually got geraniums, begonias and impatiens on the the pyramid at the moment here and really at the moment just really starting to come into um, lots and lots of colours. This will go on right until, I think it's the second week of September, and obviously open whenever Hyde Hall is open. It's open to the public, so anybody can come along and see see the uh, yeah wonderful r- range of mainly bedding plants. Amazing colour here at the moment. 
my favourite at the moment is the um, Sunflower Unbelievable, and it's the one that won third place at the Chelsea Flower Show this year. It's wonderful. It's not like your normal five-foot-growing um, sunflower. It's a dwarf, bushy sunflower. It's got a lovely um, brown eye to the centre of a bright yellow flower, and it literally flowers from May right the way through until November and has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flowers on it over the year. You can find links to the photos and information about Hyde Hall on the podcast page of the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Last year on the RHS Gardening Podcast, we reported from the newly established Global Growth Vegetable Garden, sponsored by Witten Investment Trust here at Hyde Hall. Centred on a stunning hexagonal greenhouse at the apex of a hill overlooking Essex, the garden is under the expert care of horticulturalist Matthew Oliver. His idea was to create a garden showcasing unusual vegetables from across the world. Some crops proved more successful than others. A year on, what lessons have been learnt? So the Global Growth Veg Garden is quite an unusual veg garden because it's circular in shape and that circle is divided into four quarters. Each quarter represents different continent area of the world. In each continent area we are growing crops in the area in which they originate from. The garden's located sort of to the south of the hilltop garden here at Hyde Hall and the centre focal piece of the garden is a 14 metre diameter octagonal glass house and that's where we grow all our more tender crops in there. Since we've opened in the last year, it's been a steep learning curve in here from a gardening or horticultural perspective because we've grown such a wide range of plants that are unusual. So unusual edibles, we're not just growing the standard stuff you'd see on the allotment, which we do do. There's a lot of things in the garden which I've personally never grown before up until last year. So we're only in our second growing season now. So still sort of learning how things perform here what's doing well, what's a bit tricky, how much watering certain things do and don't like, even down to really simple things like how much space things need to grow in, in a row. Still sort of fine-tuning is what we're doing this year. So some of the things that performed really well last year, so there was that 2017 season, or some of the things that surprised me, I guess, some of the more tender things that I thought would be tricky. So soybeans did really well for us which in hindsight and speaking to other gardeners may be not such a massive achievement as I thought at the time it is possible to grow them here but they did really well so that was a positive in the Asian section had lots of other sort of tender bean crops you know we do adzuki and mung beans and sort of these climbing yard long beans cow peas and they grew well last year like they grew produced a big plant lots of leaf but didn't necessarily get them through to cropping stage so we put that down to a little bit of never grown them before don't really know what we're doing poor start to the summer june was wet as well we're having a blinding blinding season so far this year so we're hopeful that those trickier things are do well for us in the future no major changes between last year and this year but one of the big things from a gardening perspective is i changed the rotation in the asian quarter and i found the asian section the hardest area to garden which is a surprise to me I, I i assumed that south america would be the hardest because it had like the, the biggest proportion of tender plants in it but asia's been tricky mainly because there's there's less of what i call the easy wins you know standard 
allotment, grow your own plants, where we can grow it in quantity, fill a space, easy to maintain, easy to get a crop off. There's less of those, and it's really diverse. There's lots to fit in as well. So it's quite hard to, to group things together neatly to fit and make a neat rotation system. And one of the things we really struggled with last year was oriental brassicas, so leaf brassicas, so things like Chinese cabbage, pak choys, mizunas, mabunas, those kind of things, because we're too hot and dry here. They just bolt to flower straight away. Really difficult to even get a picking off them from a spring sowing, really. And we tried them again in the autumn, and they certainly don't like the height of summer here. There's a lot of diversity in that group that we want to grow and want to put on show. But if you can't do it through the hot part of the summer, it's a big area to fill. So it's meant I had to tweak things around a bit, get a bit clever with uh, how we were grouping different crops together in beds to get still get a neat rotation. That's been a challenge. Anything that's like like dislikes the hot and dry we get here in Essex is, is a struggle. Big proportion of what we do here is trying to push the boundaries on what we can grow. So we're trying to pick unusual edibles and a, a lot of them are unusual because they are hard to grow. Um, that's one of the reasons why they haven't caught on is because they're tricky to get through to harvest. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be growing them here. We should be pushing the boundaries. A lot of them, it comes down to length of growing season. We can't offer them guaranteed nice long Indian summer to get them through to cropping stage in September through to October, maybe. If we have a sort of a wet and cold autumn, that's it for them. So it's tricky. Um, we're a very exposed garden. So we're often quite late starting, late sowing really for our location here in the southeast in comparison to if we had a nice sheltered garden. Trying to make the most of when the weather's good and hitting our timings, putting good strong plants out in the spring that get away quickly. That's where we try and nail it, I think. The developments at Hyde Hall have truly reinvigorated the garden, making it a glorious day out and a real asset to the local communities. Visitors love the improved site and many return again and again. So, wherever you're travelling from, why not put Hyde Hall on your must-visit destination list this summer? We'll let Ian Legro have the final word. I think people who have even kind of been here eight weeks ago would be surprised at the transformation. Uh, very frenetic end to the build. We're trying to get the landscaping done and get the surfacing down, which was month critical. We wanted to put Hyde Hall on the best footing we could. It changed daily, almost, at the speed of work in the last couple of months once the good weather came along. Those people who haven't been for a few years uh, have been certainly in the main swept away it is a lot of change for people to accept but i think once people have used the buildings and they've got their head around it people are really enjoying the spaces and it's quite easy to win over those people who said i'll prefer the thatch barn and the old set out of Hyde hall because the thatch barn bless it was struggling at 80 covers well we've now got 130 so we can service the number of people that are coming we were starting to fail people because of the size of the building now we can keep up which is good we also do cinema evenings uh which are in september because the weather tends to be better and also you know you've got the evenings drawing in so it allows you to start them at a reasonable time and finish at a reasonable time because we have to think of our neighbors then there's some theater evenings that are being run and a couple of music evenings we had the blue jays here fairly recently and uh, there was a jazz evening run by the Whitford Rotarians. They have a shindig here down uh, at Clover Hill where there's a, a natural sort of amphitheatre. 
And slowly but surely we're planting a few more trees in the landscape just to give a little sense of enclosure but not to spoil the big open expanse and views that we have here at the garden. So it's been an ongoing renaissance. The RHS now really feel like it's worth having in the portfolio and, and that has been growing for about the last 10, 12 years certainly but it's reached a new height now which is great. I hope the Robinsons would be pleased that they're legacy has gone to live on that it hasn't been sold for a golf course or housing estate and that the the rhs is committed to this garden and giving gardeners in essex and east anglia uh, an rhs garden to come to but we do find we have a very faithful and growing return crowd of, of people who use us multiple times which is great because it's them belonging here and, uh, and us belonging in part of their domestic life which is nice I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. 